Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, ageing, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoy listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Hi everyone, thank you for listening today. Today I have my friend and colleague here, Celine Levy. Celine is a power and sex coach for women and she has had some really amazing experiences in her career working with women to help them find their sense of power and agency in their body so they can thrive. Thank you, Celine, for being here. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So nice to have a chat to you. I'm so happy to be in Australia now. (laughs) So um, tell us a little bit about you and how you, your story, I guess, and and to where you got to today, because you've, you've lived all over the world. You've traveled a lot. You've been a yoga teacher. You've been a school teacher you're now a coach and you've done just some really, really interesting things. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to be in the role that you are today where you really empower women to have great sex in their life but also to feel strong within themselves. Yeah, sure. Well, um, so I'm French. I I used to be um, a primary school teacher and then I started to study yoga, very interested in that. And I ended up in a school where the yoga was great, the teachings were great. And there were some, you know, it was tantric school. So there were some teachings about fe- femininity, they called it at that time, which is not a word I would use today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sacred feminine and all that, which is not a word that we use today. And sexuality, and I was very interested in that. So oh, that's great. Like, you know, working energetically with all that was super interesting. So mm-hmm. I started to study those teachings. And then very soon I discovered that it was a very abusive school mm-hmm. and that they were twisting the teachings to overpower women. And it ended up being, it's almost like a cult, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there is an episode about that school on Netflix and it's been pointed by the media since a few years. Yeah. Um, so I was like so shocked when I was in the workshop because it started with very interesting teachings, but I'm like, no, that's not right. They were asking us to, you know, kind of go in the direction of some teachers who practice stuff. And I was like, what? (laughs) What is that about? And, and yeah, and I was one of those who wanted to say something, who was disagreeing with the whole thing. And I always heard your heart chakra, my big love. (laughs) But it's like, Um... (laughs) and I was like, I would take the teachings and get out of that school and I would do it in a way that is very empowering for women because that's not what's happening here, right? And so I left the school and I started to 
teach yoga and on the side to do, you know, workshop for women, circles, things like this, with my tantric and Taoist tools. And I was amazed at the end of the circles or the workshops when the women would come with rape stories or very mm. abusive stories. And I was like, wow, I need to go into the neuroscience of it because this is a big deal. This is yeah. actually a big deal. And so that's how I, and it was just before me too, right? This was just mm. before me too. And I'm like, how would I find some, you know, training to be able to help them like and go very deep with, you know, whatever comes up when they come and talk to me. And then me too happened. And after that, there were this training that we did together about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, woman power and sexuality from a, tantric perspective and as well from a neuroscience perspective so I started with this and then it expanded to in the direction of other trainings I would say to make sure because I took a lot like you I'm training addicted but uh, <laughs> let's say they're all body-based and work through the procedural memory of the body yeah yeah but of the cognitive that's my approach yeah and that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing now and I like the one-on-one -on -one because we can go very deep yeah yeah I wow I'm just thinking about your story about the school and you know as as you and I both kind of deepen into this work it occurs to me that there's you know on on the spectrum of bad experiences there aren't many women in the world particularly who are our age right in their, their mm -hmm. 50s their 40s 60s who haven't had a bad experience of some degree and and whether it's yeah. been abuse or um, severe boundary violations like right through to just shitty experiences because so much we learn so much of a of sex from popular culture and TV and it's so mm -hmm. centred around male bodies mm -hmm. and so women thinking there's something wrong with them because they don't respond in the same way that a male body does or like what they see on TV or on, on porn and it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit and I just think, oh, man, there's just so much learning to do, isn't it? There's so much education required to help women understand, you know, our, our arousal, our turn-on system, our the rhythm of our desire, how that evolves and changes throughout our lives. Because all of this just kind of makes us hate ourselves a little bit about both what we've experienced but what appears to not be working when, in mm. fact, as, as you and I know, often it is working, it's just we haven't learned about it yeah what you say is really important something is wrong with me yeah I think I haven't come across a client who didn't say that and something is wrong with me comes from this millennia centuries of conditioning where women bodies have been so objectified women mm. have been so observed for their way of being, mm. the way they look and the way they behave, mm -hmm. you know, be nice, you look nice. There's this culture of niceness, 
And because they've been so upset with their, for their ways of being, when something goes wrong in life, they think something is wrong with them because mm. it's embedded in them. Mm. Men don't have that. Men fail eventually and say, oh, I failed. Yeah, it's all or about what, what they do. It's just what they do. Yes, yes, but they can course correct. Yeah. They can fail at whatever and they can look at it and be like, oh, I failed. It doesn't work. What can I change next time? Yeah. Women are like, I am the problem. I am the problem. And they don't say I failed. They say something is wrong with me. Mm. And that is really something which blocks them. You know, whatever area in their life we're looking at, you know, it can be relationship, it can be work, it can be anything. Something is wrong, is wrong with me, there's nowhere to go. I mean, I even find it with menopause, right? Like there's, there's something wrong with me instead of like, well, maybe your body is trying to communicate with you, like the pain or the symptoms. What if it was a conversation? Like there's just so much... Yeah, you're right. Whether it's the the pleasing response or the good girl conditioning, they're all intertwined. But even like my body's not doing what it's supposed to do. Like there's something wrong with me. We haven't really been educated on how to listen to it, have we? Yeah, and perimenopause and menopause, it's a very interesting time because with the drop of oestrogen, mm. you have the disappearance of "I want to be liked." Yes, you know there yes. is there is there is this hormones is made is is for you to bond with someone eventually. Absolutely, of the you know species reproducing and all of that. But with oestrogen, there's a desire to be liked by everyone that fades at menopause. Yeah, so. Following what you have repressed in your life in terms of what you felt and you maybe would have loved to express. It comes out. When the estrogen drops, it comes up. And yeah. if you've been regulating, sorry, sorry, if you've been regularly communicating about your desires and your needs, it might come up a little bit. But if you've been compressing and repressing everything, there's a volcano there. Yeah. And it's like, ah. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah. I and always say to bottle. people, it's like estrogen gives you rose-colored glasses, and when you take them off, you cannot, you cannot unsee what you now see. No. It's there. It's like you see the world for how it truly is. And, yeah, and there's a such an unraveling for so many people because of it, isn't there? Yeah, it's it's like a portal and it can be very powerful. Mm. But if you continue to be in the logic of something is wrong with me, then it's something happens to me or something happens to my body. Yeah. You know, this is this conditioning. It's, I, I, I come back a lot to the tale of being chosen, you know, yeah. like, yeah. All these representations in movies, story, all tales about the woman being chosen and then happy mm -hmm. ever after and all of that. This is lingering. This is lingering in, in so many different ways. There's always this sensation of being at the receiving end of something or of someone. 
Yes. And so life happens to me, something is wrong with me, my body is not doing what it's supposed to do, Dude. all of that, you know? Yeah. It's always being, even being loved. It's being loved. It's being chosen instead yeah, of yeah, loving yeah. And Of me, me choosing and, what I want. Yeah, and it's it requires a lot of awareness and work on the nervous system to get out of that posture because yeah. we all have been put in that posture by yeah. society, especially our generation. Now it's changing, it's shifting. There are more conversations that we didn't have at that time, right? Yeah. When we were adolescent and all of that. But the shift that is not in a lot of conversation in that one is that you're not only being chosen, being talked to, being, you can as well choose, you can as well love, you can mm. as well ask. And, you know, take the, the, like the first role in the movie instead of supporting actress. Yes. Which is what we will do naturally because of all these representations. Oh my goodness, that's such a good way of explaining it. I really like that, being this being the star rather than the supporting actress. Yeah. And we all done it. I mean I've done it tons, you know, like it's it's and I still am surprised, you know, myself would be like, oh God, to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, not seeing the choices you have at disposal. Because you are supposed to be, supposed to be looking after, caring. I mean, I see it in the workplace. I'm think as you're saying all of this, I'm having this little reel mm -hmm. of memory in my mind of um, even when I worked in the corporate world, like all the women in supporting roles. Like if you think of like human resources, where I worked for a mm -hmm. long time, like all these women yeah. in these supporting roles of sort of going around making sure everything's okay and you know people are getting along and things are working okay and I think, oh my god yeah there's always this um this comment that comes up like women they care better they're better carer you know so caring is like an extension of their nature hmm. and i don't know in australia but in france the carer workers are mostly women and those jobs are not well paid Mm. You know, but it comes from it co yeah. But it comes from that belief that it's an extension of what they're good at. Like it's natural. So you know, teachers mostly women, nurses yeah, mostly women. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's changing. I would say it's changing a lot here. But I, I would also say, from a parenting perspective, I think in my generation or our generation, my definitely here where I am. There's been a, a a mini revolution, I would say, of a lot of men like wanting to take up those caring roles, mm -hmm. and so taking time off work, like, and and that's reflected in um, the parental leave when people have babies that men now have access to leave, and also, like, I've just noticed in my sort of broader group, a lot of partners where the man is kicking back a little bit and working less and then you know the wife is like getting into her own business or she is just gone back into the workforce and like is taking up more of the sort of the breadwinner role and he's doing more of the parenting that's sort of more reflective of people that I kind of hang out with 
Um, so there's almost like that role swapping going on. And I think also a lot of guys that are coached in executive coaching, you know, get into this kind of midlife time and they're like, oh, my God, I just can't do it anymore because there's a sense of them having to also please and, and pretending to be something that they're not. And I think mm -hmm. also at this point, you know, like we go through menopause, they have their own kind of midlife experience. And a lot of them are like, oh, no, I just, I can't, I have to be myself. I can't pretend to be, you know, whatever version of themselves they have to present. But it's interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, what's more taboo than menopause? I mean, I say taboo because in France, when you want to be taken care of, uh, re uh, in relationship to menopause, even medically, there's really little, like you don't have a lot of choice. You don't have a lot of doctors especially addressing it compared to birth or, you know. Oh, it's the same here. Yeah. yeah, it's not really addressed that much. And what is even more taboo is andropause. Yes. Because men have andropause too. Of but course they do. talking about it. No one is talking about it. And I think, you know, I, I studied more about women and the conditioning of women yeah. but for men there are all this pressure about performing and they get tired of it as well and i think it's great that some men say what you just mentioned like i'm done with that you know i want to spend time with my loved ones you don't want to do this as yeah i'm i'm noticing it a lot but maybe it's just you know my sphere i think i'm um, also just interestingly in um australia the government federal government a couple of months just before Christmas actually um, started an inquiry in the Senate into menopause because they're like, actually, mm -hmm. this is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. People are getting really sick. Uh, women are missing out on um, saving, you know, for their retirement. They're missing out on their superannuation, their pension. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of health issues, blah, 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 blah. We need to do an inquiry. So I thought, damn it, I'm going to write a submission so, because I, I only found out about a month ago and the submissions closed last week, but I sat there and, you know, they're like no more than five pages. I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got so much to write about this. And I, but anyway, yeah, but right? it's good. So I think like, I think, I think it's going to be our generation who's like standing up about this and I'm noticing it. Obviously I work in this space, but I'm noticing it here in the US, in the UK, like women are like, no, like no more like we need to speak about it we need help we need support we need we need flexibility in work we need medication we you know we need a whole lot of help so i'm hoping yeah. i'm hoping this is the start of a big shift but it's been and a long time coming hasn't it? it it is very long and we need as well to be represented differently mm. You know, actresses say that there are no roles for them after even 42 or 43, that it's difficult to have, you know, an interesting and important character in a movie after that age where for mm. men there's so many. Mm. And in terms of representation, it's a disaster. I see so many women who are really scared of menopause mm. because they see it as the end. It's yeah, the absolutely. End. It's the end of being desirable. It's the end of the sex life. It's the end of seduction. No, it's not. It's not. Of course, there are shifts. Of course, there are things to maybe manage differently. But it's not. It's another stage. And it's a very interesting stage to enter. Well, I think 
you know, in terms of the work that you and I do, particularly the work that you're doing around finding your power and really connecting with your mm-hmm. sexuality, it's the perfect time to explore all of that stuff. Yeah. And in fact, I think that, you know, if you think of the body mind connection and because you and I work at the level of the nervous system. And so the, the, just the absolute intelligence of the body and how mm-hmm. our hormones instigate all these developmental shifts and different stages in our lives I think it's the time to really connect with finding your personal power. It's a great time to do that. I mean, I think it's a great time to do it. Anytime. You know, at any time, but but maybe it's the first time in history that those conversations happen and women can stop and connect back to their body. And, you know, apart from the sexuality and that power and all the conversation that starts to happen now, all those topics, there is one that is not really mentioned. It's the deep knowing. Yeah. You know, how many times in your life as a woman you felt it, you knew it, but you didn't act accordingly to that? Mm. And I think perimenopause and menopause is I see that with my clients. It's an observation. I don't have data of some mm-hmm. sort, but that this is the time where they start to do that. Mm, definitely. To connect because the deep knowing, you can call it intuition, but it's not only that. It's related to how you sense yourself, right? Yes, yes. It it's connected. So when you're deprived from feeling your body when you disconnected from it because you objectify it or it's been a dangerous place to stay many reasons you disconnect as well from that deep knowing and that deep knowing is such a compass to make decisions and i think women who reach that stage in their life for menopause menopause those years they realize i miss that i miss that connection and they feel that it's, you know, because there's less men, maybe pressure on seduction or anything like this, there's such a good time to reconnect to that. And that's a very, very powerful compass. Yeah, to that's to. such a good point. I don't think there's a lot of conversation to that. There's, there's really, there's kind of not. When we talk, we maybe call it wisdom, like connecting with your yes. inner wisdom. But it yes. is that sense of deep knowing and and one thing that I am curious about, so I'm curious, tell me what you think. Like I I often wonder if we talked more about women's menstruality, menstrual cycles, you know, inner seasons, the different phases of life. If it's, it's I find that for some people it's a surprise that, this deep knowing comes at this midlife time. And so what I'm curious about is if we talked about all of this more and we were more open about it and so women felt there was more of an invitation to explore all of this stuff, like it wasn't taboo or there was, you know, the shame that's surrounding their bodies and their sexuality, would we have access to that? deep knowing in whatever capacity because everybody's unique and our nervous systems are unique but would 
would it be easier for us to access that earlier in our life? It depends how you bring those conversations. I think there are conversations about the cycles already. From what I perceive, they understood as I will know my body more. I'm a psychic person. I need to alternate between, you know, doing and rest. Mm -hmm. This is a kind of self-knowledge stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like I know mm -hmm. myself better. I have better relationship with my body. I don't push. I don't go to burnout. But this deep knowing I'm mentioning is relational. You know, it's. It's that knowing, you know, I did a self-defense uh, day once. I have a friend here who's a policeman and we did a mm -hmm. self-defense. I'm, I'm so not a fighter, but I think it's really good for me to go into my flight. Yeah. It's very good for women who have a tendency to freeze. And he was having someone helping him this day, an inspector that, you know, travels a lot and does a lot of workshops like this. And he said, so it was special for a woman that day, and he said, I think it was 95%, I mean, more than 90%, I don't remember the exact number. 95% of the case, let's say, the woman who was aggressed felt before something was wrong. Wrong, yeah. But she said nothing, or she didn't walk away. So we're talking, you know, aggression, uh, you know, in the movies, aggression, someone runs after you, it's really rare. Usually mm -hmm. it's more uh, someone they know or someone who talks to them first. It can be in a crowded environment, the start of it. Like it's it's situation where someone approach you, start to it's talk. It's definitely to you. more subtle. It's definitely more yeah, subtle. Yeah, most of the time it's more subtle. Like the, this, ag this aggression with someone random running after you, like we see in the movies, it's very rare. Yeah, and and so I'm not talking about those cases, but the case where someone you know or you don't you don't really know, but comes and talks to you and is friendly, something bad happens, and he said they they all felt it. I say yeah, but we are conditioned to not listen from the messages come from our body. There's you know there are those signals that comes up. Let's say something is wrong with that person is a message, and one woman was saying I was afraid. To appear angry right? mm. and she she was aggressed i was afraid to be the angry woman and so the the signal comes something is wrong i don't feel that person i should walk away the signal is correct most of the time and even if it's not not the end we of second the world, guess right? ourselves right there are interferences there are interferences between the signal coming up and us expressing it and those interferences are made of don't be an angry woman you know be nice be this you should be more open da 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 and a lot of things don't annoy people don't disturb don't take too much space and you know all those messages are interfering yeah and so it doesn't come out which is freeze response or it doesn't come out the way it should well sometimes it, it is like a fawning people fawn yeah. And and then they're like, why did I do that? Like they have like a lot of shame afterwards because they're like, why? Because, you know, fawning is a little bit of fight and flight but freeze and we're kind of moving between the two. I, I think I fawning is my thing where I try and talk people down. Mm -hmm. And I think, God, why did I do that? Why did I just like say, you know, go away or back off or whatever? It's taken me a long time to get okay with that. Yeah, it's so much conditioning around it, isn't there? 
yeah you i think falling is is yeah it's in it's you know that extreme reaction which is the stockholm syndrome where i mean it, this is very extreme compared to falling right where people are captive for example and they make friends with the person who is dangerous it's such our survival mechanisms are so strong. So imagine you're like, I'm alone in that room with that person. I, that person is awful, but I will make friends with that person. I will, you know, something will pretend like there is a, a relationship between us that I can survive that horror, right? So phoning is a little sample of that, which is some danger here, but I will... Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can talk my way. I can de-escalate them. I can talk them down. I think a lot of us, I mean, I know a lot of guys that do it as well. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's super, super, super interesting. I mean, and, and like you, that I find with a lot of clients that good girl conditioning is so strong. And it it's kind so of, it's just like, oh, my goodness. Like, it's like we live within this narrow version of ourselves. And when you start, to, and it's in the nervous system, like it's like so embedded so deeply in the nervous system. And when people start to sort of move outside their, their I guess their boundary of what they've been living within, then even if they're good feelings, like experiencing joy or pleasure, like this just can be so overwhelming for their body to experience that expanded capacity. And it's so easy to just like snap back, isn't it? Yeah, it's very strong. And deep, deep down, when you start to move out of it, so to change the neural connection, which is mm. what it is, right? You, 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 your mapping is changing inside your brain. So you mm. behave differently, you take more space, you ask for more, whatever it is. Mm. But you know what the risk is. When you do that, you risk relationships absolutely and, and that's the fear it's that your actual relationship before you start that work if you wish to are all on said or unsaid they're relying on said or unsaid agreements that are in place and as you move out of that the agreements have to change for the relationship to be sustainable. Whether it's friendship, romance, you know, some people would be on your side and be like, yeah, I see you growing wonderful. I love you. I love that you're doing this. Yeah, and, yeah. And that, yeah, and when it's unconscious, I get those agreements because a lot of them are, particularly in friendships and obviously intimate relationships, if we don't consciously bring it up, that you can get such um, rupture in relationships, can't you? Yeah, and that's the risk. I think that's, you know, a deep fear is to, to die and to be alone is very close to the mm. fear of dying because, you know, that's we're not wired for that as mammals. So we don't want to be alone. No, but we're wired for connection. We're wired for connection, so... As we created the connection, we have a certain way, you know, growth or change, risk the relationship around us. And there is an in-between those moments. I think it's Brené Brown that used that expression, the in-between those moments where you feel everything is wobbly and moving. As you say, when you want to come back, maybe compress again, 
or shrink again into that old world is because you're afraid to be alone, where in fact, you always at some point find relationships more aligned with who you are. That's exactly right. Where if you stay where you feel it's not the whole you, the full you, you know, those yeah, relationships express... start to rot. Well, they do. And I think, I don't, I'm sure you've seen this, but I've heard many people say they feel lonely in their relationships. This for me is the worst loneliness yeah. ever. You know, I experienced it. I remember I've been, I think I'm in my life, I've been more single and partnered. But, and I felt alone at the time. But I've been in a relationship once, feeling really alone. And it was the worst loneliness I ever experienced. Yeah. And I got out of it quite quick because I think that's, that's really, really. Because it's even more constricted because at least when you, you know, you live alone and you want to meet someone, they are, you know, filled with possibilities and you can explore and, and, you know, there's something open. All But when, when you focus all your energy and your attention on someone who is there but is not there, it's like, you know, being in, inside a, like, trap. It's, it's like being trapped. I mean, I experienced it that way. I don't know if it resonates. There, but not there. I'm just thinking about what you said. They're there, but they're not there. Yeah, they're They're, physically there. Yeah, but but they're not attuned to you, right? There's no attunement to you. There's no presence, you know. And they can have, it's not necessarily, I'm not talking bad person. Sometimes they have a lot of problem and their mind is somewhere else. But when it lasts, because during long relationships, it's different when someone is fragile because of something. But when it's a constant thing that that, that that you cannot feel their presence and your attention is on them but their attention go elsewhere but it's not never on you. or rarely on you that this is i think it's like your energy being vacuumed where when you are you know by yourself it's you choose more where you put your attention attention is the magic wand anyway talk, tell like, me about yeah. that Talk about attention. Tell us about that. Attention, yeah, I think it's really the magic wand. And um, I I really teach women to learn to direct their attention and to, first, before doing that, be aware of how they retreat with their attention inside themselves a lot, watching Mm -hmm. themselves, policing themselves. Mm -hmm. The police being shame, right? This is Mm -hmm. the internal Mm -hmm. agent. Because they've been watched, as I say before, about their ways of being and, you know, how they look and how they behave, more personality than the trait than the doing and all of that, what we were saying before. They develop this, you know, uh, constant, uh, um, they they return the attention inside to observe themselves. Mm -hmm. What I'm doing, is it correct? How I'm behaving? How I'm dressed? How I am? Right? And... And yeah, it's a mag- and when you retreat inside watching yourself and policing yourself, you lose your power. Yeah. This is how you know you lose your power for me. This is the indication of of in that situation, I'm losing my power. My energy is leaking. Yeah. I'm watching myself. Like I, I, I give a situation that is very common, let's say dates, you know, how many women on dates would sit in front of uh, this person, a guy or another woman, 
and be like oh i hope i say something funny or i hope you know and there's so little it's like you know going to a job interview or something it's come back to the tale of being chosen and their attention is inside them and when you are in your power you go to a date you'll be like oh let's see if i like that person let's see if that person is fun let's see if that person is you know smart or kind or you talk you ask questions yeah 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 your attention is out most of the time right and sometimes you can have a thought about oh i hope i'm making love or something like this but when you're constantly watching yourself I give the example of date because I hear about that more in romantic relationship, but in, in, in several other occasions, some people, when they socialize, they go in the group, they, they like this as well, they feel uncomfortable, they watch themselves all the time. Yeah. But women do that a lot. And the, the, it's really important to be aware of their own attention, where it's going and what they're doing with it, to start to work and change power dynamics with people around them. Yeah, that's so true um, and as you're talking I'm just sort of reflecting and thinking even in social interactions when you're talking to someone and their attention is on themselves and not sort of out it's not a very engaging dynamic that's just my personal experience yeah. and totally. you're like what's going on there like why are they retreated into themselves yeah the other person it's like for i say for women because i see women do that more but there is a double conversation the conversation happening with the person and the conversation happening in the head about within the person within within them like am i okay i am saying something interesting am i and so that's the presence is shrinking you know and the other person as you say, as a receiver, feel it, feels it, and it's not attractive. And attractive, I'm not talking only seduction, but it's not attractive. It's quite the contrary. Yeah, it's um, what's coming up for me as I'm thinking about it. I'm just reflecting back on probably when I've had that experience, just with other females talking to them or even, um, you know, in my early dating days, because guys do it too. I don't know, you just don't feel like you vibe with them. Like you don't feel that connection and I don't know. It's I think, you know, it's like when people don't attune to us, it's hard to put yourself out there. You know, when you put yourself out there and people aren't attuned to you, like then you think, oh, they don't really like me. And so you kind of, so so what I'm thinking is, yeah, well, the, the person who's got the attention inward I imagine the receivers sort of feeling like, oh, they're not really that interested in me, and yeah, I, like I, I don't know if if they were self aware, but then there's a whole lot of people who are just used to that and think that that's how it should be, and so there's that un- unhealthy sort of dating culture where there's you know I guess people who yeah, are used to that... just sitting speaking about themselves while the other person just sits there and retreats mm. inward. I don't know. What do you think? I- I think there is an energetic thing happening there where both people come and, you know, if they're both having their attention out and are curious about each other, I'm not, I'm not talking only about dates, but any conversation. Just in, yeah, right? just in conversation. Yeah, something 
plug and there is a synergy. So with both people energy, you create more energies. It's it feels great. Moment. Yeah, it yeah. feels interesting, great. There's a connection. That's connection. connection, right? Yeah. But if a person comes with 100% of his or her presence and the other comes with 50, the synergy, you know, it's it doesn't plug the same way. The synergy doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm remembering a conversation with someone, um, a business conversation I had with someone, this is years ago, where that person wanted me, didn't really know me, got introduced through someone else. And they basically their motive was they wanted me to connect them to someone else that would help them get a job, bottom yeah. of the line, right? Yeah. And so they were sort of asking me questions, but they weren't really interested in what I had to say. And then sort of, you know, we had a coffee and we talked and I was like, after half an hour, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is a bit hard. It's feeling a bit hard. And he's, and this was a guy and he's like, well, you know, so I know, you know, these guys, like, can you connect me to them? And I was like, oh, right. So that's what it was all about. And I'm thinking, I felt that the whole time because he was in, in himself the whole time. He, it was all about his agenda and all he was thinking of, he was just waiting for an opportunity to ask me to do that thing, but his attention was within himself and it felt super slimy to me. Like I was like, right, you're not actually interested in networking. You're not interested in connecting. You just want me to introduce you to those guys to help you get a job. <laughs> yeah, and you deep knowing talk to you. Yeah, I did. Right? And you're, I did connect him. I went fine there, you know. And um, he got the job, so there you go. But, um, yeah, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, and my deep knowing was just like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, and, you know, it's a sign of regulation as well, talking about nervous system, to be able to have your attention out because curiosity is a sign of a healthy regulated nervous system, yeah. right? So we can connect it to that and and you know, when your attention is in work and you watch yourself, this is actually activation. This is actually not feeling safe. Yeah. This is, you know, a defensive mechanism. That's why for the other person, it doesn't feel good and it builds a kind of almost wall sometimes between the two during that conversation. Yeah, I mean, if if it's... The other person will be picking up on the the constriction, the contraction, possibly the fear, possibly the withdrawal, and that may trigger something in them that feels unsafe and uncomfortable. But yeah. it will also, if they're a fairly regulated person and they're just genuinely curious, they'll be like, something's not right here. Yeah, it's nervous system to nervous system, right? It's so amazing all the time they're just mm, all talking, the time. talking to each other all the time aren't they yeah and when you say it felt slimy your nervous system responded to the nervous system of that person who yeah. was activated because he or she wanted you know the connection for the job and survival mode or something totally. like this and you picked up on it yeah yeah it just amazes and me i'm so i'm so fascinated you know, in my mind, I kind of have a giggle and I laugh because I'm sort of conceptually like this image of nervous systems just interacting with each other all the time. And there's a part of me that sort of 
finds that kind of funny even though it's just real and that's what our life but when you sort of think about it like there's a verbal conversation going on and then there's this nervous system conversation going on that can be a completely different conversation that's happening at the very well, same time yes and when it is a different conversation the signals are not clear for the other yeah. person that's yeah. exactly that's exactly what it is you know when talk about power is your work says something I just posted something about it yesterday, actually. You know, sometimes when your work says something and you feel it doesn't land or it has no power, it's because your nervous system says something, something else. different. And with the women I work with often, for example, they ask for something, they want to ask for something, they say, okay, I ask for my needs. I want to, nah, I, I, you know, I open my mouth, I say it. But deep inside, they don't feel legitimate about asking. Yes. And then their body sends a completely different message. It's called congruence to have you. The body signals align with, <laughs> you the know, you, yeah. with the verbal, what you say, the tone of your voice, the prosody, etc. And the message doesn't land. You don't get what you want when you ask that way. It's not, you can learn any communication techniques. You can, you know, have the beautiful words. It doesn't work. What yeah. counts is the energy behind the words. And the energy, you know, it sounds like a woo-woo thing, but the energy is made of what's happening in this nervous system. Yeah. You know, at that moment when you ask, when you say the thing, when you want to take more space, when you want to communicate about your business. And I think you can even feel it through social media. You know, we post it. Absolutely. It's funny, but it, it the energy goes through the through the screen as it well. It does. It does. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I think... I saw that post. You're right. You can do all the communication courses in the world, but if the nervous system is speaking differently to the voice, the receiver doesn't receive. No, no. There's no point working on communication techniques if you're not feeling, you know, completely legitimate about saying what you have to say. It's this feeling in the body that will land into your voice. It will be in your voice. It will be in your body posture. It will be in the way your eyes communicate. It will be in your, in, this is like a, a vital impulse. Like, yes, I asked that, you know, yes, I want that. Yeah. Yeah. I find with, um, with heaps of clients that I work with, like a big part of, particularly the somatic work is we have to reinstate the fight and flight response in a lot of people. And it's lost for a number of reasons, right? There could be, you know, there's so many different reasons why. And when we do that, that can be like, we were talking about it before that can be really uncomfortable for the nervous system. If it's never, never felt that power behind the back off stop whatever mm -hmm. and there's a lot of titration that mm -hmm. has to happen to feel a little bit of that energy behind it so it's the attention out that you're talking about because for many people they haven't experienced it and so they can go into freeze really quickly or they can you know go into that constricted pattern and so it takes you know, it sometimes takes quite a few sessions for well, we can find the, the fight and flight response slowly 
but to even get that attention out that power like sort of coming from the solar plexus like it can take a bit of time to feel safe for the body to feel safe for the nervous system to feel safe to be able to do that can you talk about that a little bit about i can't i can't talk about it about women specifically and and uh i think one of the big reasons for that is that they've been deployed from the anger women do not have a healthy relationship with anger right as you know men have been deprived from sadness in the in the same way yeah and so when you talk about you know all the sessions where we will teach the nervous system to say no stop like something like yeah pushing pushing against pushing right? the wall yeah something which is more like pushing against women have been so conditioned to not be angry women yeah there's so much anger frustration irritation and even rage depressed in the system that when it starts to bubble up it feels often like a huge volcano and i think it can be overwhelming and as you say that's why the time well, it can come fast important. right it can come yeah. super fast and the nervous system can just go what and just no like i can't cope with it you know the voice that's connected to the anger like the t even the tone mm -hmm. of the voice like it's you just got to do it go slowly, right? You got to go so slowly in connecting it back up so that we yeah. don't overwhelm the system. Anger is such a precious emotion as well because it always protects something very important. You know, it's it's really an emotion that puts you in action that makes you do things, that makes you move in the direction of a desire, but first you have to protect something, right? It's so very a great protector. It's a great protector and channeled in the right way can also be such a motivator of our passions. Yeah, I, I, I heard a lot about, you know, working on healthy aggression, you know, which is how you transform anger. It's, it's healthy aggression is not about aggressing someone or hurting someone but it's about moving out of being a prey basically what i was talking about before like uh, being yeah. always at the receiving end right yeah yeah and the, the one who's chosen the one who is told the one who is loved even yeah and being the one who choose love and have the option and and it's like moving into almost on nervous system level, very, you know, being very primitive with it, the predator mode, not in the sense I will hurt people, but I will get what I want. Yeah. Go for what, go for what I want. The predator yeah. side of us that can move towards like energy towards what we want in our life. Yeah. And women have not been conditioned to be connected to that part of themselves and they have it like men have it women have it mm. they both have the caring and they both, both have, have the, the go go and the, get it so much work to do but i think yeah. it's, it's like it's fun, good though. it's like it's fun and it's i don't know it's kind of revolutionary i like it like there's something i don't know i like it's something so beautiful about helping people to express all the different parts of themselves 
and and yeah just to feel so comfortable in like deep in their bodies like deep in their bodies finding that power and I always think that you know so much of that power comes when we feel that comfort to just be ourselves and to show all the different parts of ourselves yeah and power is about as you say having all the options yeah you know that's why I like that word and I think as well we have to make peace with that word because I'm so tired of empowerment yeah so am I. I know it it's not, it's on my, one of my diploma, woman empowerment books, right? I I don't use it because, you know, then men have power and women have empowerment. It sounds still like Stupid. something to fix about yourself, like yeah. something is wrong well, with me. Let's but, go but, back to that. But to, you know, to the point of the conversation that we were having, like power exists within a relationship. Exactly. It's relational, totally. Totally relational. And there's so many different, you know, sometimes those relationships are governed by laws. Sometimes those relationships are governed by social uh, stratifications and culture. And sometimes those relationships have gender across the top of it. And sometimes it's just two people talking to each other. But there's always, it can't exist that's why I struggle with empowerment a little bit because it's like, well, it doesn't actually exist on its own. It can only exist in relationship. Yeah, for me, it's like self-love, mm. you know, self-love, empowerment. It's like, it's funny. I just wrote an article about self-love. It's not provision. It's not, I never, I don't know you, but I never heard a man saying, oh, I didn't work. I think I don't love myself. Never, never. heard it. Never. You know, never. And all this little and they have other other you know they have other conditioning thing on them mm-hmm. but but all these things that point at women to look inside themselves again to fix something to get what they want is just delaying you know the re- the realization of their desires mm. and it, even it, even with the coaching and the self development you know I love it because, you know, I really think it can change life. But so many women, especially if they've been traumatized, they think, oh, I have to be healed to get a relationship. I have to be healed to make money. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want to do it. You want to do it to feel better, to manage your nervous system better, to accelerate things in your life. Yes, 100%. But no, you can get the things not being the perfect woman depicted in an advertising or in the movie. I think that's the thing, isn't it? We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be healed. None of us are perfect. None of us. I mean, my God, I like seriously. I don't. I read. I've been reading a lot of Jungian stuff lately about um, elderhood and midlife and all that sort of stuff. And so one of one of the authors said, like, literally people spend the second half of their life undoing the first half of their life, which I think to some, like, if we just were, like, constantly trying to fix ourselves or heal ourselves, like, we'd just be, like, forever doing this. And you can't live like that. Yeah, it's a lifetime journey to, you know, grow, and it's fascinating, and you have to do life at the same time. You have to do life at the same time. And you, when you dance with both, I think it makes 
you know, the life texture richer. Mm. And it's fascinating. I love all that. But, you know, and you gain in well-being and, you know, in in, in feeling better, to say it's mm. simple, which is great, which is what you want. You know, you want to feel better when you launch a new project or you want to change career or you want to get into a new relationship or change the power dynamic in your relationship. Or, you know, it, of course, you, you get a lot from it, but it's not in... um in this self-fixing mentality, like the self-love, the empowerment is like, oh, okay, I will go on my mat and do my, you know, self-love affirmation, self-love this. Yes, do it if it helps you to feel better, 100%. I'm not saying those practices are not useful, but don't do it because you think without enough self-love or self-empowerment, you won't be loved or you won't be hired or you won't make new friends, or you won't be able to move to this new place, or you won't be able to make money. Mm. These are not self-love issues. These are power issues and not empowerment issues. It's relational. It's power dynamics that have to change in your life eventually. So let's see where your attention is. Let's see how you feel when you interact with that person or that person. But it's not about an intrinsic, you know, thing about you that you should love more or things like this it's okay if you don't love all the parts of yourself you can still do life you can still do life you can still just keep enjoying yourself and going on and laughing at yourself and yeah yeah it's not about love it's about approval yeah with yourself and acceptance and, and acceptance right it's just yeah like, okay yeah I, I approve of myself being this way. I might not like it, but that's okay, right? Yeah. I think that's a really nice place to end the conversation. That was really, well, yeah, it was really, really good. If um, So your website is selenelevy.com, yeah? Yes, it's my name. And then tell me your, your Instagram which I will put a link. It's the love witch, isn't it? It's the loved witch. Yeah. And you yeah. have a French one now too, don't you? Now that Yeah, you're I have a French one, which is called sorcierotic, like an erotic sorceress. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'll put that in as well. I wanted to combine the witch, you know, because she's been burned for her knowledge, for sometimes being alone with a nice word, like we love you now, you know, all that yeah, part yeah, that yeah. was that you had to repress your knowledge, your your freedom and all of that. I wanted to put together which and something positive. Yeah, it's great. Well, it's also just, those parts of ourselves. Well, it is. It's just powerful, wise women with that sense of deep knowing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we embrace that, then a whole lot of stigma goes away and a whole lot of taboo stuff and... It's just a whole lot of ancestral trauma that we've inherited from a couple of hundred years ago, isn't it? Yeah, I think with, you know, the reconnection to the body, to the deep knowing, to the desires, the world is ours. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much.